Welcome to another sparkling edition of Plank of the Week. These are coming around very, very thick and fast now as we enter the last month of summer. Uh, Good luck if you're away on holiday. I suspect, like most of us, you're not away on holiday because there isn't anywhere to go. But luckily for us, uh, we have got a journalist from The Times with us. He is Ben Clapworthy for the first time on Plank of the Week. Ben, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, And I'm hoping it's going to raise the tone to some extent uh, of this particular weekly broadcast. Although Emma Webb is also here, who always raises the tone. So welcome back. Is it? No, 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 absolutely. Listen, I think that because Ben hasn't been here before, we should give him first right of uh, the first plank of this particular show. What do you think? Should we do it? Oh, yeah. Ben, tell us who your first plank is. Well, it starts on holidays um, and it's Dominic Raab, our esteemed foreign secretary. Yes, of course. Um, now, I was going to bring a globe with me, but I couldn't fit it in, in my bag. <laughs> um, he, within the last week, muddled up to a sort of spectacular uh, extent on why France was given this special elevated mm. status of yes. being on the uh, government's Amber Plus Amber list. Plus, and it's the only country on there so far, isn't it? It's the only country on there so far. We're told they're, they're scrapping it now because it doesn't work and right. it's pointless. Uh-huh. Um, but the, where the confusion seemed to lay was that the uh, Joint Biosecurity Centre, when presenting their evidence um, on why it should be given this special status of Amber Plus was because of a prevalence of the so-called beta variant um, in the Reunion Islands, um, which are 5,800 miles from mainland France. Right. And is Uh, is the Reunion Islands, or is there only one of them? Is it Reunion Island? I haven't got the globe. Because ah. um, <laughs> uh, I always assumed it was a bit like Ascension Island, instead of a completely different part of the world. But there's only one of them, I think. I, I mean, I'm I not an expert. But, well, us and Dominic Raab, too, who said that uh, the reason for its special status was because of the prevalence of the so-called beta variant, particularly in the reunion bit of France. <laughs> um, which was... Now, we mustn't forget as well that this was a man who, was in, tw- who in 2018 said that he didn't quite, hadn't quite understood the, how reliant UK trade is on Dover, yes. uh, Calais Crossing. So geography <laughs> he is... Has, he has got some form here, hasn't he? He does. So I mean, this, this, this also might explain why the Foreign Office list of places you can go and can't go is different from the Department of Transport's list. Because yes. clearly nobody in the Foreign Office knows where anywhere is. Absolutely. I mean, clearly not. And then, just to... to <laughs> Add to it, uh, Peter Ricketts, who was the former and very good actually ambassador, British ambassador in France, mm. uh, waded in to point out an even more serious issue, which was that the reunion is actually just on the normal amber list anyway. Right. Um, so people who had come from there wouldn't have to quarantine in the, at all. Um, so the whole thing muddled itself up and. It's quite spectacular, isn't it? And Dominic Raab is quite a controversial figure because he does come out with some really... I mean, apart from the Dover thing, he could probably list about ten other things he's come out with and said which have all been slightly uh, questionable, uh, at least. I mean, I wonder why they ever let some of these ministers out on their own. I mean, Grant Shapps the other day uh, was talking about how, um, you know, the pinging system works and how it's a good idea to make sure that people, when they come back from holiday, have to self-isolate if they get pinged, la de la And he then said, oh, well, you know, the thing is, what we've now realised is that one out of every three people who self-isolate actually end up getting COVID. And everybody went, sorry, how do you know that? You can't possibly know that because you don't track and trace the people who have been self-isolating mm. after they've stopped self-isolating. So how do you know? So we just made it up. It's been a bad week for Rob anyway, hasn't it, with his whole coaxing and cajoling nonsense. And he actually came off looking quite 
well when that uh, Labour MP was questioning him when she got she confused uh, was it Beirut Beirut and Beirut yeah what are you doing about Beirut <laughs> and he what came off looking do? like he really knew what he was talking about but well, she did her a not. massive favour she obviously <laughs> didn't know anything about reunion either but that's a very good first nomination Dominic Raab has been nominated before but not for a while so well done Emma well who's deserved. your first one uh, the prison service yeah so the prison service have issued new guidance mm. Uh, suggesting or, I guess, advising dog handlers that their dogs might have unconscious bias. What? And that dogs could potentially be racist. Really? They based this on a study, Is apparently, it a dog that, that belongs happens, to a racist? Uh, well, well yes, maybe. Yes, precisely <laughs> that. So they were suggesting that actually the dogs can pick up the unconscious bias from the, the dog handler or from their really? owner. And they did this study in California where they um, took they sniffer dogs around and they hid... So- not, it was supposed to be about explosives. They yeah. hid sausages for the dogs to yeah. find. And then in some of the places where they'd hid the sausages, they put a big red mark. Right. And they wanted to see whether or not the dogs could pick up on the handler's hesitance to go where the cross was, even if there was a sausage behind it. Okay. And so they, What's this going to do with racism? Quite. So they have inferred from this yeah. that, therefore, dogs can pick up on unconscious bias. And so rather than this just being about, you know, the, the, the particular sort of fact of the study they've extrapolated this and they're suggesting that it might mean that when a dog handler takes a sniffer dog up to an asian person or a black person that it can pick up on the racism mm. of the handler right. and therefore the dog would treat people differently on the basis of their we ethnicity do more stop and search the dog <laughs> i mean it's Does amazing it also mean that it's amazing, dogs are institutionally <laughs> racist then well, obviously, systemically. Well, systemic. Yeah, but I mean, imagine having the time to even come up with that sort of study to go. I know how we'll prove this, and we'll do something completely random with red crosses and sausages, because that's bound to be able to prove some kind of social, you know, directive that's going on in a dog's head, huh? I mean, my other favourite dog story of the week was when Sage came out and basically said that you know that cull that they had to do of all the. Um, um, was it the mink mm-hmm. in Denmark? They had to kill all the mink in Denmark on the grounds that they were spreading COVID. That they might have to start killing animals in other parts of the world. And it could be that your pet might have to be slaughtered in order for COVID not to spread. And you're kind of going, these people are now actually this insane. Imagine They're if insane. we'd done that. It would have been on tier levels. People in oh, yeah. London would have had to have lose their pets first. Yeah. And then, then the your fish is going. You've got yeah. fish? That's mad, isn't it? Did Chairman Mao did that? Where he... he, he uh, well, I thought it was just the running dogs of capitalism. Were, they, we had cat, cats <laughs> murdered because he thought they were bourgeois. He had birds birds murdered because he thought he was trying to excuse the famine on the yes. birds and then it made the situation even worse. Unfortunately, you kill all the bats, otherwise we wouldn't be in this terrible situation. <laughs> if you'd managed to have culled the right animals, we'd be seems, fine. It seems to be a weekly theme on Plank of the Week. The an, animals, each week a different animal is racist. I know. birds, Absolutely dogs. incredible. So, by the way, also, finally, what's, what's this got to do with the prison service? They don't run the sniffer dogs, do they? Well, I think that they um, they use sniffer dogs within prisons. Oh, do they? But presumably if someone's already in prison... Why don't you just go <laughs> into the guy's cell and go, oh, look, he's smoking marijuana. We'll have that. What do you need a dog for? Probably too scary for them to do that. I mean... Too I'm, threatening. One of the things, I don't know whether it's still the case, but one of the, place, one of the few places you could still smoke was in prison. When they banned smoking everywhere else, you could still smoke inside prison on the grounds that, you know, that was more humane. If you needed a, a cigarette, you could have one. Okay. So um, they've been doing their own rules for the rest of, uh, for the, rest of the country anyway. What, what do you do if you discover that the dog is racist? Do you put it down? No. No, you obviously <laughs> put it through a re-education programme and make it start reading The Guardian. Because that will solve the problem immediately. 
<laughs> ask it to vote Remain. Because they're not racist. It's just the Brexiteers who are racist, obviously. I suppose you could ask the dog if it voted for Brexit, and that way you would know immediately if it was racist. <laughs> Right, I'm going to go for the Highway Code as my first nominee because I don't know whether you noticed that they've now rewritten the Highway Code because apparently it didn't work very well. Um, I don't know that many people that even know the Highway Code terribly well, but apparently we are now, as car drivers, the absolute lowest of the low. So if you drive a car, particularly if you don't drive an electric car, if you drive a car that you have to fill up with petrol or diesel, you matter not a jot to the people that run the roads of this country because... Far more important than you are cyclists and pedestrians. And they've actually issued now a new edict that says that if you're driving a car down a road and a pedestrian steps out in front of it, you have to stop. And rather than being kind of sensible about it and saying this obviously only applies to crossings, pelican or zebra or whatever, it doesn't say either of those things. So it basically it's given some people the idea that you can just literally walk out in front of a car and it will have to stop. And while that may well be good and safe to do, it's not going to happen, is it? People are going to get knocked over. People are going to step out. This sounds like it's the opposite of what the highway code is supposed well, exactly. to do. To teach people how to be safe with yes, respect to roads. Right. So are they reprinting the highway code? They will be reprinting it, yeah. I hope they include, in Bristol, They uh, the council have recently painted a rainbow pelican crossing. Have they? Um, which I thought sounded highly dangerous. Because motorists dangerous. won't know whether to stop or, or is go. It like, or, is it with stripes? It is with stripes, yeah. So, this isn't the one that the horses were afraid. The transphobic horses didn't. Ah, yeah, there you go with your racist animals again. <laughs> so hopefully that will be included because I did ask our transport correspondent what the, the that's rules a very good were point, whether actually. you actually have to stop at a, a, a rainbow, rainbow crossing. crossing. <laughs> um, well, that's a very good point. Well, they've done a lot of weird things in Bristol, haven't they? Also banned diesel cars as of this year. Quite possibly. It's where I'm from. It's a mad system. It's, it is mad, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they don't like statues, and they <laughs> and they don't like diesels, and um, it's completely mad. But they've also. No, but here's the thing: they've said to, uh, to to car drivers that you you are now required uh, to ensure the safety of all uh, people on bicycles. Mm-hmm. I.e., you're not supposed to drive at them. Well, I mean, the other highway code didn't say you were supposed to drive at them either. You know, no, yeah. I don't think anybody actually does drive at cyclists. But what it also says is that cyclists don't have to be. In cycle lanes, even though we've spent millions and millions of pounds building all these cycle lanes, they don't have to use them if they don't want to. And you have to give them priority at every junction. If they're coming towards you and you're going that way and you've got to turn right, you have to let them pass. This before sounds you dangerous. Can turn. It sounds really dangerous because, of course, what they've, basically, what they've effectively done is they've said to the cyclists, look, we know you didn't really like the rules in the first place, so now we're actually giving you permission to, to completely ignore, ignore them. them altogether. Don't even worry about it. And if there's ever a collision, it's always going to be the driver's fault. Well, that's the point. So presumably the police are going to start citing the new highway code, which no one's going to right. read because they don't read the existing no. highway code, apart from doing a theory test when yes. you learn all the signs right. and click on the hazards. Do you know what I noticed the other day? And I, was, I was with my son in the car and I said, have you noticed how many signs there are? everywhere we've become obsessed with signs if you this is one of those things mm. you'll only notice now that i've told you but once you're in a, in a car or a cab and you're going down a street there are literally signs everywhere you know turn right for this children's center which if you didn't know was there you wouldn't know that the sign was there you know turn left stop you know there um, is a campaign to reduce the number of signs on our roads is there yes because there's well i'd be- like to join it because they're so confusing mm. to everyone that there are so many signs yeah and you do notice it. And, and, if you, and you look at a lamppost, there's about five different signs mm. on it. Well, also, at the moment, of course, all the streets are cluttered up with social distancing bollards that make them look like sort of the Monaco Grand Prix. And you know what else, <laughs> you know what else I've noticed? Going. There's something very weird going on. And you might think I've got a bit mad here, which is entirely possible, given the number of days off that I haven't had. Um, there's some kind of weird thing going on with temporary traffic lights, where mm-hmm. in lots of parts of London, they've taken the real traffic lights out 
and they've put in these fake temporary ones. And I actually drove past a pub just outside of uh, Blackheath the other day, and there was literally, I kid you not, 50 temporary traffic lights just piled on a pavement as if they were being put somewhere. In combination uh, with the low-traffic neighbourhood, yeah, it I feels like they're trying to turn the whole of London into the Tour de France. Yeah. Just, just, just cones, for cyclists cones, going at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Red and white bollards. Yeah. But I wonder what this... I'm going to find out what this temporary traffic light business is about. Because there's obviously something going on which we don't know about. I find it quite sort of sinister. The changing of traffic <laughs> yeah. lights. What are they trying to do? Well, are, How are they yeah. trying to nudge us now? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but what was wrong with the old traffic lights? I don't know. Anyway, so the highway code gets it for me. Who's your number two, Ben? Um, I thought I would go with the Olympic uh, high jumpers. Oh, yes. um, our Qatari friend, uh, Barsham, and our Italian friend, Tamberi. Yes. Who uh, both decided in their own, uh, their own decision that they would uh, both win gold. Um, it's great, isn't it? They had been... Uh, they'd both managed to clear uh, 2.2 three seven meters twice on their third jump they both knocked the, the bar down um they were offered the opportunity to take part in a jump off by the referee i've watched the video uh, the qatari uh says well can't we both win gold the referee sort of i don't know the umpire whoever you call him sort of looks a bit perplexed the italian looks a bit <laughs> perplexed as it's sort of trundling through his mind yeah. uh then he sort of dives onto the qatari chap l- wraps his legs around him in some sort of slightly bizarre <laughs> display of excitement that's what i call a high jump uh, and um <laughs> there and then they've decided that they're both yeah. going to win and, gold. and you know the funniest thing about it was the, the justification from the people that supported it who thought it was it lovely was that they were really good friends well i'm sorry it's not about you know agreeing with your mate who gets the gold medal is it well i mean that's not really the olympics anymore slightly <laughs> odd and then it's quite interesting the first time there's been a joint olympic podium since 1912 which makes a lot of sense because that's how competition works. Yeah. That you have Is it any winner? coincidence that the First World War started two years later? <laughs> <laughs> Not between the Italians and the Qataris, obviously. But no, <laughs> it's a really bizarre one. yeah, it was a really bizarre thing to happen. There's somebody pointed out I talked about this on my show, and somebody pointed out he said, Surely if that had happened, they should have shared the silver medal rather than yeah. the gold one. But I bet you they didn't want to share the silver medal. Well, there was there was no silver medalist, there was just a go- a bronze medalist afterwards, so he's probably Slightly unhappy. Does that mean that all you have to do if you want to share your gold medal with your friend is to do some kind of Borat style yeah. wrestling with them? Yes. As, to, hold, to, but, to hold the umpire hostage also, until they give you both gold. Surely you would just continue in the, the jump off. Yeah. It's not, I mean, well, be the jump off, people, people who are on the side of this, right, and uh, I, 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 I don't wish to polarise everything, but I'm afraid it does get polarised because all the same people that you would expect think this is great are all the people that disagree with me about almost everything else that, that, I, that, I, that I think. And they were all going, well, the thing is, you know, they'd been trying for about an hour to beat each other, and they hadn't. They'd managed to not uh, jump any higher than, I think it was 1.79 metres or something like that. Um, and uh, they, so their logic was, well, since they tried for an hour, they should just agree it's a draw. They should but keep that's jumping until tennis. one of them is exhausted. Yeah. because <laughs> we'll put an alligator well, on the mats and yeah. see which one. Well, exactly. That, now that's the Olympics I would watch. Now I would, that, that that, would make me watch sports. Now we're talking. Now <laughs> I mean, we're talking. It just was bizarre. I mean, honestly, and it's, you know, it's classic, isn't it? We've got it already in schools that when I was at school, you mm. were taught if you came second, you were the first of the losers. Yes. Which seems to be a... And now you have children that everyone gets a prize for turning up yeah, at the egg right. and spoon race. Well, they do it this, this way now where they got teams, right? Mm. So if, you, if your son wins a race and you go, oh, look, you won! 
which I used to do when they used to do a lot of that. And then they'd get, then they wouldn't get anything for it, but their team would get points. And so then mm-hmm. their team, they, so they allowed the team to win. They well, didn't it's allow like that, individuals that, that, to win. Uh, famous line from Alice in Wonderland that all must have prizes. Yes. In so many other respects, we've gone through the looking glass, but now finally, well, it's literally taking mm, on the that, form of Alice in Wonderland. That was school sports days, yeah. and now is the Olympics. I mean, it utterly. What's the bizarre. point? I mean, it's and, like the Laurel Hubbard thing as well. I mean, it just make, it's making a mockery yeah. of the whole idea of competition. Yeah, and yet this is the same organisation that was insisting on these Danish um, um, girls wearing bikini bottoms mm-hmm. to take part in an athletic enterprise. You're kind of going, sorry, how do these things all tie up into the same organisation? Oh, you must wear those. Why? Well, we quite like the way you look at them. <laughs> I mean, at least if they said that, at least you could have had some sympathy with them. But they were like, no, 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 they're much better for that sport. <laughs> you know, of course they are. Ridiculous. Madness. <laughs> well, the, the men are instructed that they have to cover up, and the women are instructed they have to have their... Take off all their clothes. Well, I must admit, just before the, uh, the the show started, I was watching the men's 400 metres, something about there was an awful lot of lunchboxes on display, which I know quite a lot of women quite like looking at. No problem. You know, but uh, that's just the hypocrisy of the organisation that gets me. And they all go, oh, this is fine. And all these people justifying it saying, well, you know, lots of people in lots of sporting situations have a draw. Well, not really. Not if you know, you don't have a draw in the World Cup and you both take the World Cup home. Mm. In football, Share you don't have two years. Wimbledon. Somebody wins it every year. They or don't that go, they decide that they've been playing tennis for too long and it's quite hot. I mean, and it's, I, yeah, we're all exhausted. Let's just give the cup to both of them. I've sat through many a tennis match that I've hoped would finish sooner than, <laughs> than it actually has. Well, I actually had the chance to go to Wimbledon finals day this year, and I was like, you know, I can't be bothered sitting there for five hours. Though. I'm not going. I went to send my son. But uh, but yeah. Well, everyone was clock watching at Wimbledon this year, wanting to get home for the football anyway. Yes. Well, that was a waste of time as well. Which also, <laughs> funny enough, ended in somebody winning. Yeah, well, maybe How's we. Surprising. Maybe we need to Maybe have some we version wrong, of penalties yes. for a high well, jump. Think, well, Gareth Southgate doesn't like winning. I mean, that's why he keeps losing, you know. And people go, hey, no, you can't tell you lost. Well, you can actually, because he did actually lose. First of the losers. The winning the, is in the table. But he got part. into the final. <laughs> you get, yeah, and then lost. You know, it's, <laughs> an, it's an actual word, winner or loser, or one of the two. That's offensive. I know. <laughs> that's an unbelievable. Who's your second one? My second is brilliant. It's Piers Corbin. Oh, yes. Um, so, Piers Corbin, he got uh, hustled or pranked by two YouTubers. Yes. Um, and <laughs> they, they met him uh, in some kind of cafe and said to him that they were uh, shareholders in AstraZeneca. Um, would he be willing to essentially focus his criticisms on Pfizer and Moderna? Yes. And they offered him 10 grand. Right. They actually had 10 grand. I'm told they, they took out their own money. They had money well, from yeah, the bank. Well, yes, so they, 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 got, they got out 10 grand. They put it in a, a little brown real, envelope. Real. A real 10 grand. Yeah. And then they had one of the other YouTubers' girlfriends come over, ask for a selfie with mm. Pierce Morgan, and then another... Pierce Corbin. Sorry, Pierce Corbin. And then they did the whole switch, the, the classic yes. switcheroo, right. and gave him a packet full of Monopoly money. And he, they caught him on film yeah. um, saying that he And of course he, he defended himself to, later by saying, I didn't agree to anything, they've edited it in such a way as to make me look bad. possibly he was naive. He that said he that people had money to him all the time in the street. Really? Um, wow. Well, that's because they think he's a tramp. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably they think he's begging. What are you doing? So they he, they actually did the old <laughs> the old classic switcheroo, and he ended up going home with a packet full of Monopoly money. Yes, having agreed on camera, and I don't know whether it was edited in a particular way because I'm not a particular fan of these kind of pranks, I have to say. But um, I think he was well and truly done over. I don't think his defence that you know he didn't agree to do anything. I mean, he's agreed to have the conversation where somebody has suggested he even, he that he started, should stop criticising AstraZeneca. He even started writing. He said uh, that he wouldn't take he would take the money, but he wouldn't agree to change his policy. Mm. or anything. 
thing because of it. But then he went on to actually take down a list from them yes. of positives yes. about AstraZeneca. Mm. So well, even, there and then. Yeah, and so even and he's caught on film doing it. Mm. So even though he said that he, you know, was and it's what makes it particularly planky is obviously because he is he is the, the, the arch anti vaxxer. Yes. Um, and you know my, my views well, on things like vaccine and passports he's, and he's and so not on. just an anti-vaxxer. I mean, he's a nutcase. Yeah, I'm sorry I mean, to say this, but, I mean, he talks about 5G masks uh, spreading Can you COVID. imagine what Christmas dinner is like at their house? Actually, Tommy Corbyn, mm. um, Jeremy Corbyn's son, yeah. tweeted saying, Pierce is a tit. Did he? Yes. Really? So their, their Christmas dinners must be wonderful if they celebrate Christmas Well, to Christmas be fair, dinners, there's quite a lot of competition don't. in the family for that particular title. Well. You know, maybe they should share it. Um, but the point is that, you know... Plank of the yeah, knockout. It, 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 and, 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 and also, he shouldn't be... If he's so kind of um, anti-establishment, as he claims to be, and he's so anti the idea of the vaccination because it's, you know, two steps away from Bill Gates trying to poison everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, what's he doing to even talking to these people? Well, he is, should hate anyone that has so shares in So this is exactly the point, he? is that he's, he's, it's particularly plankish because he has held himself up as, as the arch campaigner. He, he was taking this money to support his campaign mm. whilst at the same time showing himself to be eminently corruptible. Yeah. So all of the people who actually do look to him mm. as spearheading this sort of anti-vax campaign will now be thinking... This guy's a crook. Yeah. Well, except incredibly, there were people jumping to his defence, and you can imagine who they all were. And they were all people who don't believe that the sun rises and sets. You know, they're the same people who the think people that, that everything. Jazz fest. Yeah, I mean, they haven't. They don't want to see your globe because they think the Earth is flat. <laughs> you know, and they think it's all a construct. And man didn't land on the moon, and it's all this kind of mad, crazy stuff. Um, and they were all going. He's been set up, you know, by the establishment. The AstraZeneca paying for this, and they're just trying to make him out to be a madman because well, they know he certainly was that set he's up, telling the truth. And you're kind of going, well. I'm not sure that's right. He was only yeah. set up because he was willing to take money from people who had shares in AstraZeneca. I yes. mean, you can't, any, you can't and, just and, say I mean, he was I was listening to quite a lot of the coverage of it as well, and people were like, if you had any sense, you would realise that, one, AstraZeneca are actually not making any money out of the sales, and they may make it in the future, but they're certainly not making any money out of the sale right now uh, of any uh, vaccine because they're, they're selling it for cost or whatever. And so, therefore, you know, their share price has not been affected one way or the other. Well, the YouTuber who bought the shares yeah. said that his, his, the, the amount of money that he made in total from buying £100 worth of shares yeah. was seven pence. There you go. <laughs> so. Didn't even pay for the coffee there. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, Piers Corbyn's been on here before and I think uh, he very well deserved to be on it again. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Uh, my second nomination is going to be Allegra Stratton, uh, who was on it last week for the first time. 
thanks to her article in the Telegraph in which she was telling everyone how to help save the planet <laughs> by doing little things like not washing your dishes before you put them in a dishwasher. Which does just break your dishwasher. Um, well, the actually, the I'm, woman has I'm, clearly I'm, never eaten Weetabix. No, I mean, you can't put you know, dried on horrible foodie plates into a dishwasher because they won't get clean. I don't care I'm how good your dishwasher is. So, so am I. Killing the planet. So am I. <laughs> I take that. I'm and I'm the not stopping doing it. <laughs> I mean, if you really want, I mean, I was giving these tips away last week for free. If you really want to, to use a bit less water, you just fill the sink up and soak them, and then that way you're not running water all over them. But it's the same, isn't it? People who recycle bottles and go, oh yeah, but I just have to rinse it first. You've already used half the world's water <laughs> to put it in a recycling bin. What's the point? People who rinse their cans. Yeah, there's no point. <laughs> what about milk cartons, though? Uh, I think you should do that because otherwise they might get a bit rancid. I think possibly I'm just lazy. Yeah. She also said, you know, when so you go into the shop. your domestic life, doesn't it? <laughs> well, she's never home. She's always on television. You know, um, when, you're, uh, when you're going to the shops, don't bother driving, just walk. Which, again, gives off this ridiculously kind of um, London-centric mm-hmm. view of the world. You know, because if you don't live in London, where, yes, you can probably walk to the nearest shop, if you live in any part of the rest of the country, like, you know, I don't know, Sussex or Kent. I mean, you could be 15 minutes away from the nearest shop in a car. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to walk. And also, it's quite difficult to carry a lot of stuff if you're walking, whereas if you're in a car. Anyway, she, she comes out this week, and, and, and she's already upset Alok Sharma, who's apparently actually in charge of uh, COP26, because he said that all of these suggestions that she made are very unhelpful and make us look idiotic. And he's right about that. But then this week she's come out and said that um, she drives a diesel Volkswagen Golf, Right, and she doesn't really think it's a good idea to have an electric car at the moment because they don't go very far. And so she needs to drive long right? distances to go and get yeah. her shopping. And this is the woman who's supposed to be the prime minister's spokesperson on COP26. Well, she said she she did it because she she has two young children. I think she said they're four and seven. Oh yeah. And the distance that she would have to go to visit family in Scotland would mean that they would have to stop for a long charge. Really. And that that wouldn't really be feasible with a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. But mm. she hasn't taken from that. Then all maybe we should stop lecturing the public because maybe they also have. This is you know, the they're not trained to Scotland. Well, there is a train to Scotland. And, I mean, Peter Hitchens said this the other day. They're coming out with all these weird and wonderful ideas about electric buses that might be hooked up to an overhead power line. He's like, they've already invented the train, which does that. And it's actually quite clean and quite a good way to travel. Why are they trying to invent different they, ways of making a train? Some of these people have never been on a train in their life except for a photo walk. Also, everybody knows that if you're a Lego Stratton and you have family in Scotland and you live in London, that you can't possibly stop on the way because you might meet some northerners, you know, <laughs> which is absolutely, and, you know, anything north of sort of, you know, West Hampstead, no chance. You don't want to see anyone from Wigan. Some of these people sometimes manage to get themselves into first class. <laughs> it's absolutely shocking. Do you think she's got the same car as Dominic Cummings that can get you all the way to Barnard Castle and back without the requirement for a petrol Yes, stop. he didn't have to stop, did he? He didn't, no. no. Hey, it's a remarkable fuel efficiency. Well, I mean, <laughs> maybe he was misreading the dial on the fuel gauge because his eyes, you know, well, aren't very good. As we know. So he might have thought he had plenty of fuel, but <laughs> actually it was nearly empty. But he's got now, quite a big now, car. Now, the test. He did. He's got quite a big car, though, because I mean, remember you used to see him coming out of his house with all these kids' bicycle helmets, and he'd open the and it looked to me like it was either a Land Rover or a Range Rover or something like that. Quite a big sort of car. He's been Plank of the Week for the last couple of weeks because, of, of course, he's still tweeting away like a maniac. And nobody's read, nobody cares. It's just quite remarkable. Just writing his blogs and his tweets. It now. really is extraordinary, yeah. My favourite, I think we got him in last week, um, or I mentioned last week, because he started uh, tweeting about Britney Spears. 
and, and why, <laughs> why, why everyone should get behind her uh, campaign to rid herself of her father's conservatorship or whatever it is, you know, because it was so unfair. And you're kind of going, OK, now you've crossed the line. <laughs> so Dominic, that's, that's a very you know, leaky remit. Yeah, I, listen, I don't <laughs> mind you saying the Prime Minister's useless and he's like an out-of-control trolley, but I'm not having you talking about <laughs> Britney Spears. I mean, whatever next? What's he going to opine on, you know, the X Factor? It's closing down, you know, Love Island? <laughs> maybe he's trying to transition into a pundit. Yeah, maybe. He's not coming on my show anytime soon. Um, so, yeah, so Allegra Stratton, quite rightly, as you say, completely unaware of anything that she's saying impacting anything else that she said mm. before that everybody else should do. Incredible. But no, even when she was doing the interview, she didn't seem to have any sort of self-awareness of how hip, like hypocritical she sounded no. while she was explaining the reasons why you might currently, under the current circumstances, need to stick with a diesel car rather than an electric yeah. one. Well, I, th- I think they don't actually understand that they are hypocritical. I mean, it could be the only explanation. They can't possibly... But we've seen this time and time yeah. again. It's one rule for them, it's another for everyone else. And so while they're lecturing all of us about how we should be behaving in the kitchen, yeah. next it will be the bedroom, yeah. you know, there's no area of life that they don't want well, to traipse Well, they're all telling us what to eat and how to be fitter. And, you know, as somebody pointed out, and we'll come on to Boris later on, but, you know, Boris Johnson telling people about sustainability... You know, as he's about to become a father for the you know seventh. No Harry and Meghan time. style awards for Boris. No, absolutely not. Single-handedly destroying the country, uh, the, the the world. It's absolutely the... incredible. So, Ben, your final nominee, um, uh, Professor Neil Ferguson, yeah, um, he's, he's who a, I'm sure a is a uh, favourite. Um, he of fame of uh, breaking lockdown, having an affair, uh, said it was almost inevitable that after July the 19th unlocking that cases in the UK would reach 100,000. Then there was speculation of them reaching 200,000. We're now more than two weeks later uh, after the unlocking. And how many cases are we on a day? 22,000. It's quite a long way from Mm. 100,000. It really is. Um, Then in the last week, he's... uh, decided that he'd come out with some more uh, speculation where he says he is now positive that the pandemic will be over by October. Now, he's made so many predictions. It's not surprising. I mean, I could make these predictions. So if I made as but many I mean, predictions even, as him, but, one but he, would be yeah, correct. But one of them would be right. But he hasn't <laughs> yeah. made one he of them He's the original well, monkey on a typewriter. He really is. But <laughs> the trouble is, the the trouble is, is that of one of his latest predictions is that it'll all be over by the autumn. So I'm now going... Oh, great. So Neil Ferguson thinks it's all over. That means it's not all over. Definitely going into next year. Um, I just thought, and you know, the the amount of media coverage all of this got, um, you know, it it was bonkers. And the fact that he, you know, even then you have sort of modellers from the US who are calling him out and saying uh, that, you know, he's just made so many uh, predictions. He's consistently so overconfident. Yeah. and why, why, you know, there's, in this pandemic, so many of people have emerged as sort of renter gobs that mm. can go on and make predictions on things. You know, I see it in my job on people making constant predictions on what's going to be on green lists and amber yes. lists for travel. It, uh, you know, I mean, it is quite difficult in. to predict government policy these days. I mean, I what? actually use the words today. Um, well, let's hope that Boris sticks with his latest U-turn. I mean, that's where we are. Yeah. You know, you wanted to stick with that U-turn, so it doesn't make another one. At least that's a political thing. This is a scientist who's one minute terrifying everyone again mm. by saying, you know, I, I have friends who are saying 100,000 cases, that sounds quite worrying. Mm. You know, we know that people who are jabbed are now getting ill as well. I've yeah. got uh, a friend who's single jabs and is lying in bed feeling sick. You know, if you're telling people 100,000 cases a day, put the fear of God into them. Yes. And then, sure enough, two and a half weeks later, at 22,000 cases, they're 
falling consistently. I mean, that's quite a margin of error. Yeah, it really is. And also the other problem for old Neil Ferguson, like a lot of these people in stages, he's not actually medically trained at all. And we listen to these people as if they're all scientists. And, and, I mean, you know, they're not scientists in the right kind of science. Behavioural scientists aren't scientists. A lot of the, the, you know, when you see these open letters that have been signed condemning government policy, condemning the government deciding to lift lockdown, Mm. if you go through the list, a lot of them are, like, behavioural scientists and the nudgy types. Um, But, you know, you just think that... The reason why Neil Ferguson is in the position he's in must be because he has the same outrageous level of confidence that he makes in his predictions, mm. that that is just the reason why he's in the position he's in. Mm. He just truly believes in himself, even though he has no reason yeah, but to. If, if you, in the media, right, I mean, if you started writing articles about what you thought was going to happen and they were all wrong, you don't have a job for very long. Same, with, you know, with your business that you're in the think tank business. You know, if you started putting out papers that were apparently academic but were completely and utterly wrong and and rubbished every five minutes, and if I did the same thing on the radio, you know, we'd all be out of a job. But yet he seems to not only not be out of a job, but he keeps getting new and better jobs. You know, he resigned from Sage at one point, and then we found out he was a member of something called Nerve Tag. Which sounds like mm, something sounds out of fun. James Bond, <laughs> Spectre, doesn't it? No tag. Um, and he's still advising the government at a very high level. And you just think, how is this possible? But are they not looking at his predictions and going, I mean, this is bonkers, isn't yeah. it? 200,000 cases or 100,000 cases a day one week, and then, oh, it'll be over by... It'll be over by... Oh, it, was also, it was picked up by Keir Starmer, wasn't it? Because he very sort of um, animatedly attacked Boris Johnson a few Prime Minister's questions ago to say, what will you do when it's 100,000 a day? To which the answer is, well, ask me when it's 100,000 a day. I think it's not, it's, not, it's not Neil Ferguson that we should be attacking. It's the stupid people who keep listening to everything he says. Like, well, star- imagine, imagine basing a criticism of the Prime Minister, of all the things you can criticise yeah. the Prime Minister for at the moment. Imagine basing a criticism yeah. of the Prime Minister on something that Neil Ferguson I said. Know. But also, um, it's not even just the fact that they listen to him. It's the fact that BBC Radio 4, and particularly the Today programme, seem to think they need to interview him at least once a week. He's on there at least once a week, every single week. And you're kind of going, why? It's the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, I know. Shocking. Very good, though. Very good three nominations, I'd I hasten to add. Thank um, you. Emma, who's your third? BBC Sport. Excellent. They put up an article, a uh, profile of Laurel Hubbard, the uh, trans weightlifter. Yes. And it was just this puff Who didn't piece do very well, entirely. as it turned out. No. Um, actually, in many ways, I think, to some people's disappointment. Yeah. Um, and they, they put up this, this, this profile explaining why Laurel Hubbard is this sort of uh, revolutionary, almost, you know, sort of spearheading figure in the mm. trans sports movement. Um, and it was criticised for being extremely biased because obviously there has, has been a lot of debate around issues to do with trans people in, in women's yeah. sport and how that's unfair and so it's a really big issue of public interest and the BBC's article obviously posted on Twitter received a barrage of criticism mm. for being biased and rather than admitting... It's a very confusing story this because people who object to things are quite often strange bedfellows so that some people who agree with each other actually disagree about everything else apart from this. Mm-hmm. I find it all a bit confusing to be honest. And they, Well there's certainly not very much disagreement in the comments responding to it on Twitter <laughs> that's for sure because people were really annoyed that they... Um, um, that, that this article was so biased, didn't mention any of the ins and outs of the debate. It was just an entirely sort of 
glowing positive profile and they did instead of admitting that you know maybe they should have given some attention to the critics or maybe that some of the critics are not mad crazy lunatics mm. who are genuinely they're just concerned about women's rights and fairness in women's sports instead they then reply to their own tweet with a threat to people in the comments section saying that that hate wasn't acceptable but what they meant by hate presumably was just people expressing gender critical mm. views, people yes. with criticisms of trans ideology, not of trans people, mm. but just of the ideology yeah. behind you know, what was informing their article. And they actually said in the tweet that they responded with in a statement saying that they would report offensive posts, hateful posts to the police. So they threatened... This is mostly, your BBC at work. Mostly women um, who were saying, you know, we're worried about losing women's sports yeah. and they said no if you if you do this we'll block you and we'll report you to the police but this is the trouble isn't it now with all of these kind of issues which are contentious <laughs> is that you're not allowed to have an opinion which is not considered to be the right opinion you can't just disagree with someone and go well actually i don't agree with that i think this no 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 that, you can't say that mm. that makes you some kind of horrible well it's the classic it's the classic individual. activist our activist tactic mm. to say that if you criticize my view you're hateful and yeah. you therefore must be silenced it's right. a way of silencing your position mm. and so now bbc sport have just jumped on that bandwagon and are using the same sorts of tactics to silence a, 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 and i think the reason why i'm nominating them as a plank is because you know they're, they're supp supposed to be journalists mm. this is an issue of serious important public discussion and their attitude is we're going to report you to the police if you disagree with our editorial line yes. on this and that's not really very fair and they're the national broadcaster and it's not very unbiased really either is it no, quite. In fact, if anything, they've just proven the point. But I suppose you could you could also argue the BBC is not really necessarily the place for these arguments to take place either. So maybe they shouldn't have places for people to comment. And I know that's going mm. to sound probably a bit fascist-like. Yeah, I know that you're a big. Well, they probably free blocked speech. everyone under the yeah. sun. Well, they don't so have no comments on their website, do they? There's no, no. I mean, if you can't, com I mean, there's lots of things you can't comment on. Comments are closed off on certain articles in newspapers. I mean, everybody has to do it mm. in a way, especially if it's one of those situations where people are going to say incredibly kind of inflammatory things, which you oh, don't if it's really legally want. contentious. So this isn't legally contentious. No, this is just the BBC yeah. getting upset. It's important for them to be held accountable, though, mm. isn't it? So if they're, you know putting up articles that just ignore an entire half of the debate yes. and and people want to comment saying hang on a minute this isn't on you're supposed yeah. to be our national broadcaster right. at least have some kind of pretense of being maybe this is just giving yeah. her a gold medal you know for for, for not Honorary. making it to the final of the weight well apparently category. because because she was um made it to the olympics there was i know absolutely nothing about this as a caveat but uh, another weightlifter female yes, no, weightlifter, she was given a sort of um golden ticket to, to go to the olympics regardless but it still meant that that space couldn't be given to mm. another woman right yeah and that's and that's the the, the the inevitable kind of result of that kind of policy mm. that somebody's not going to be able to go because you let this person go and I mean, presumably she qualified to go, but she didn't do very well, which, as you say, upset quite a few people, especially those who wanted to prove that she shouldn't have been there in the first place. You <laughs> wonder whether she's thrown it deliberately just to misprove, disprove everybody's points. But I think we should also mention the BBC's coverage of the Olympics while we're, on, while we're at it, because they are pretending to be in Tokyo, right? <laughs> which is possibly the most ridiculous thing anyone who's That's run possibly a more sports organisation. It's totally ridiculous. I mean, they sit in a room like we do, 
We are in London. Behind me is St Paul's Cathedral. It's night time. Um, you know, that, some of those things may not actually be about? the That's case. Tokyo. Um, they've got Tokyo behind them. Because, I mean, I could, we could put. In fact, we should have put Tokyo behind us just to pretend same, that we're in yeah, studio. to pretend that we're in Tokyo. But why would they bother? I mean, why didn't they just admit? Because I'm actually quite happy that they didn't pay a nearly a billion pounds to cover the rights for the Olympics for this one and the next one. Discovery Channel have apparently paid that, which is a ludicrous amount of money in my view. So I'm glad they didn't do that. And so therefore, why not just champion that and say, look, we didn't think it was a valuable use of taxpayers' money. So we're in Salford. And so we're now in Salford <laughs> instead of Tokyo and we're saving a lot of money, but we'll show you what we can. What would be wrong with that? Nothing. Right. I think people will be pleased. Yeah. The BBC will be honest. They've for deceived everybody into believing that they're in Tokyo. The BBC deceiving right. people. Mike. I know. It does. You do also sit watching the television. It is always dark as well because they're. Yes. And they have their skyline of Tokyo. So even during even the, the middle during of the, the day, day, because it is the middle of the night in Tokyo. Yeah. They sit and you have it on in the in the corner of the room, and it looks like it's sort of they're all sitting in a dingy little. Maybe they couldn't afford the, the daytime shot of the Tokyo skyline, so they've only just gone with the they nighttime. They do co- nighttime coverage now. So I haven't seen it. I haven't watched it in the middle of the night to know if what it looks like. Tokyo in the at well, one of the I'm things they can't images. do is show you anything really that's live because they're not allowed to. They can only do two sports at once. Yeah. Um, and so people have been going on the red button and getting very upset that it's a choice between dancing horses and people. Dancing horses. Sounds like a wonderful uh, set of decisions. I to mean, me. I think the Olymp- I mean, people say to me, oh, are you watching the Olympics? I mean, I think the Olympics became a farce many, many Olympics ago, you know, and they all started getting loads of money for doing things. And, you know, the idea of any kind of amateur athletics or any kind of amateur anything was out the window. And there's so much money involved that it can't possibly be viewed as some kind of pure you know, mm. battle of, of athletic prowess. Because it's not. It's just a massive opportunity to get something sponsored, isn't it? Yeah, I, I have to say I've got absolutely no interest in at, no. at all. You know, I watched the 2012 Olympics. 2012, I, I watched thought... watched the swimming. I was, I was, was actually swung around by that. That's probably the last one that I really watched because I was very um, unsure of all this rah-rah, it's going to be great. And I was one of those sort of manky Londoners and I was like I don't want all these people coming to my yeah. city and holding up the traffic and you won't be able to get on a train it'll be a nightmare and of course everybody left so it was empty I been taking my son I got tickets to go to one of the football matches and we came up from Sussex and went to go on the underground there was literally nobody on the underground at all and we walked to Wembley, didn't see anyone. Because everyone had left uh, London People had just gone, we're getting they out. Yeah. The they thing. painted those Olympic lanes on the motorway for 2012 and never had to use them because yes, there was never the, any traffic. For the VIPs. Co- yeah, there was no and traffic the, No, there was no traffic. So they didn't update the highway code for that? No, they didn't. No, absolutely right. <laughs> they just find you if you went yes, in one, though. quite. So my final one um, is going to be, I think, um, not just John Smith, but this is a guy who you might not have heard of. He's the son of Harry Leslie Smith. Harry Leslie Smith was a famous kind of Labour refusenik, if you like, and he was once famously thrown out of a uh, Labour Party conference because he wouldn't stop heckling. I think it was either Gordon Brown or Tony Blair. It was back in that sort of day, and he hated New Labour. He's one of those kind of died-in-the-wall socialists. Anyway, his son John is one of those who basically started slagging off Boris Johnson for having another child. And, I mean, I know that we made a little joke about it earlier on, but we didn't do what he did, where he basically said this about Boris Johnson. Um, hashtag Boris Baby has no chance of growing up to be a decent human being unless social services were to put the child into care. Crikey. And you just kind of go, what? What's wrong with you? And, of course, a lot of people on the left started attacking Boris. And, and for whatever reason, I mean, aside from anything else, part of the announcement was that... Um, uh, was that uh, Carrie Simmons had had a miscarriage. So, I mean, it's a kind of a no-go area. You don't go piling making in. fun, piling in. I, don't really, I in. really don't understand what... I mean, I, I've also 
joked about the amount of children that he has yeah. and how horrible it must be to be stuck in, a, in a place with thing. a screaming baby with all yeah. that garish wallpaper around and that it must be nauseating. But, you know, it's a joke. This, I just, I don't understand what's it's going through very people's poor heads. Taste, whatever to happened to the idea that, I mean, I know obviously all the climate change stuff, but whatever happened to the idea that children are a blessing mm. and the more the merrier? Yes. Because I don't think, I mean, yes, he is a bit of a sort of... You know, he gets around a bit. He does. Boris does. It's um, <laughs> a very nice way of putting it. <laughs> but, I mean, you can't necessarily... Not as much as he used to, ...praise him for his fidelity, necessarily. No. But, you know, I just think it's a good thing. That this this Prime Minister has more... Ch- or is the is the first Prime Minister since, mm. I think it was 19... Uh, sorry, 18-something, to have this many mm. children. That's a good thing. Them. Yeah, well, he keeps saying he's broke. I mean, the thing is that we can have this conversation and people will accuse us of being hypocrites, no doubt. Well, you're talking about it, but we're not being nasty about it. And I think that's, that's just fine. I think it's one, just of, the reasons, isn't one it? of the reasons why he probably can't afford them is because divorces are expensive. They can be. Um, but, you know, if he sends them all to state school, it's not going to be that expensive. It's only unaffordable if he tries to send them all to Eton. Yeah, well, exactly. I think that's off the, off the table unless he's getting it sponsored by one of his many donors. You know, <laughs> I'm uh, sure he'll uh, be fine. I know I said it was for the wallpaper, but actually it's to put one of them into Eton, if you don't mind. <laughs> But no, I just I just think there is a certain. I mean, there's, I always say this. They, they, you know, the left always called the Tory party the nasty party, but there is absolutely nobody as nasty as the people on the left. I mean, it was Keir Starmer congratulated him and Carrie and said he wished him all the best. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the civilized yeah. world that we want to live in, isn't it? You don't want to have people literally locking horns on absolutely everything, mm-hmm. so that if something terrible happens or something good happens, you just dismiss it because you're a horrible, ghastly person. And there were plenty of people from the left. I'm sure uh, who I could also name who who probably had higher profiles maybe even than this guy. But he's got 300 and something thousand followers on Twitter. Exactly. He's not he's not an insignificant figure. He's an author, you know, a bit like that guy mm-hmm. Pullman, you know, the guy that does his dark materials who seems to have become sort of Brexit deranged. It's completely And infantile. he's always slagging off the, the government, slags off Britain, hates Britain, hates people that live here, hates mm-hmm. the fact that we voted to leave the European Union. Philip Pullman has made millions out of the public in this country because they bought his books and you might like them, I don't particularly. But, you know, why is he so horrible? I just don't get it. But it, it doesn't do any good for us on our side of mm. the discussion either because, you know, peop- the, the same point was made about BBC Sport, that, you know, the whole idea that if, if somebody disagrees with your perspective, then you accuse them of hate and try to silence yeah, them. Right. The whole debate has become so infantile mm. that when people do stuff like this, that when they actually, again, it's the boy who cried wolf, that when they do criticise the government for something legitimate, mm. it doesn't seem like a legitimate criticism because they've already showed that their hatred of a particular political figure is coming from a place of just sort Completely of unfound. yeah it's childish it's childlike well, it's very hateful and so as well, and so it? you wouldn't take anything seriously that he says now in criticism of boris no. because you think well you just you just Sounds hate like him you hate his children spiteful. you hate him. You know? yeah absolutely yeah absolutely horrendous so the, what we've done now is we've got the nine nominations i was carrying one over from last week and i haven't actually checked uh, what the last week's uh, tally was to see but i will do so and bring one over from last week where are we July the 30th was last week. We, I'll tell you who won last week, in case you didn't see. Marlborough, um, the cigarette company for trying to ban tobacco. <laughs> You're going to go in, right, OK, then. But Allegra only in Stratton the developed world. The BBC <laughs> was third. Um, so I guess um, Neil Ferguson's in there as well. Um, well, I wonder who we should carry over. We'll think about that later on. So what we need to do now is settle down to one each, right? So... Ben, why don't you choose Emma's? So, Emma, you tell Ben what your three were. We'll Prison go from service, there. Pierce Corbin. Yes, Pierce Corbin, not, not Pierce Morgan. Morgan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sport. You've given me a... <laughs> a legal flutter. It is one of those, you just keep doing <laughs> it. got the libel complex. Yeah. 
Uh, I think surely it has to be Piers Corbin. Uh, because that is just spectacularly plankish, <laughs> his behaviour. It really is, isn't it? And, I mean, the thing about the BBC, I suppose, and not so much the prison service, but, but they can be on it again. And Piers really does they stand out, I think, doesn't he? <laughs> right, so um, you've chosen that, so you should choose mine, right? So my three were um, the Highway Code. I'm going to say John Smith, but I'm going to sort of say Boris Haters, I suppose, and Allegra Stratton. Oh, Allegra Stratton is a tempting one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? You go for the highway code. Okay, that's a oh. good one. Wild card. I like that. I like that very much indeed. Right, so I'm going to choose yours. So tell me your three. Uh, it is Dominic Raab, our gold medal winning high jumpers, yes. or Neil Ferguson. <sighs> Ooh, that is good. I think I'm going to go with Dominic Raab because Dominic Raab really should know better. I mean, do they not have briefs anymore in uh, Government. You know, well, as one f- as one spokesperson said of him, at least it would have helped if he was in the room when the decision was made. Which was <laughs> quite cutting. Interesting. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Dominic. I think Dominic Rob. So we've got Dominic Rob, the Highway Code, and Piers Corbyn. Unusual <laughs> selection. Quite an unusual selection. We have to narrow it down. Of course, all of these will be in the top ten, Smallest and these will be the top three. So, um, I mean, it's such a spectacular error that I think Dominic Rob should be number one because it's so huge. How and can you, ex- you not and you, know? you expect plankery of Pierce Corbyn. You, you don't sort of expect do. it so much. Yeah. Of our Rob. foreign secretary. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the phrase, the, the reunion part of France. The reunion bit of yeah. France. That is... That is <laughs> I said like, it twice it's when I saw like it. It's almost like somebody's kind of feeding it to him to make him look like an idiot. You know all those people on Twitter who were saying that the solution to the migrant crisis is just to reinvade and retake Calais. But it sounds like that might be what he's referring to. <laughs> Maybe that's where he thinks re- the reunion section is, just a bit north of Calais. Who can say? Well, listen, I think we've got a, I've got a winner. So Dominic Raab, number one. Should we make um, the highway code number two? Yes. Piers, number three? I feel like Piers deserves to be higher up on I don't mind. I'm, I'm easy. If you guys think he should be number two, I'm quite happy with that. He could be number two, couldn't he? Because it is spectacular. It is quite good, isn't it? I mean, imagine him getting home and opening a packet of Monopoly money. And whatever you think of it. And genuinely having thought there was going to be 10 grand in there. I hope he rang Mrs Corbyn to say, you'll never guess what I've just got. What? (laughs) 10 grand? We're probably going to buy a pack of Marlborough fags around the corner and go out one of his Monopoly notes. Sorry, this isn't legal tender. (laughs) (laughs) Deary me. So, here's Corbyn, number two. Um, Highway code number three. But the winner... A plank of the week for the first time, I think, is Dominic Raab, the Secretary of State for Foreign and Commonwealth Affairs. Well done, Dominic. Thank you to Ben Clatworthy and to Emma Webb, and uh, we'll see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.